Welcome to TribeCast. I am Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. And on this podcast, I am going to help you find your tribe and maximize your life. Welcome to another episode of TribeCast. I am Forrest Walden, founder and CEO of Iron Tribe Fitness. Today, it is my honor and my privilege to have a very special guest, my pastor. Is it okay if I still call you my pastor, David? Yeah, that's fine, man. Okay, my pastor, Dr. David Platt. Let me tell you a little bit about David, and I'm going to let him introduce himself, but he's currently the pastor at McLean Bible in D.C. Before that, many years ago, he was the pastor at the Church of Brook Hills, where I went at the time. He has had an immense impact on my life. Um, He is uh, the former president of the IMB, International Mission Board, best-selling author of five different books, holds a PhD from New Orleans Seminary, um, has an awesome podcast called Pray the Word, which I listen to every morning, just a quick five-minute podcast on a verse and, and then praying how to think intentionally, how to pray through that verse. He's been married almost 20 years to Heather, uh, who just so happens to also serve on the board of Never Thirst, and he has four kids and currently in the process of adopting a fifth. So I was going to work all that in there because I wasn't sure that you were going to say all that, David. So um, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It makes me tired, like running through all that, but yeah. (laughs) There's a lot on there. Um, Well, a lot of our listeners uh, will be familiar um, with you. Um, If nothing else, just listen to to the show. I've talked about you. I've talked about the impact. Certainly talked about the impact of Psalms 67, 1 and 2, Mm -hmm. which was really my introduction to you, which is early sermon when you came to to Brook Hills as a traveling pastor. Help us, just give us a little introduction from your perspective of who you are and what you've done and how you've ended up at McLean. Huh. All right. So just to summarize that, I, uh, yeah, and, and it's really just God's grace um, in my life. Like I'm, yeah, overwhelmed by his goodness. So I uh, uh, met Heather. We, uh met in Georgia uh, and went to the University of Georgia together. Uh, I knew at that point that I wanted to uh, lead in the church in some way. And so I went from Georgia, Heather and I got married. We moved down to uh, New Orleans Seminary uh, where uh, we lived until Katrina, sent our house underwater. And that's how God sovereignly used uh, that circumstance to uh, we were without a home living in Metro Atlanta when Brook Hills was looking for somebody just to fill in and preach for a a couple of Sundays and so I came over there and uh, yeah that sermon you mentioned I think it was like maybe my second or third Sunday there and just filling in we were waiting to get back to New Orleans as soon as we could that's what we loved I I had finished school there I'd started teaching at the seminary and was serving at a church there just a small church we loved um, but, uh, it was during that time while we were waiting to get back to New Orleans, start filling in in Brook Hills and, uh, then the church there starts talking to me about coming to pastor there. And, uh, that was not on the radar for me at that point. I remember telling Heather when we were going to meet this, this team that was going to talk with us about this, I was like, I'm sure they're not like really interested. They're just kind of trying to check off the box so they can at least say we talked to him and we're not really that interested. Well, God redirected in a lot of ways and a few months later i was coming to brook hills to pastor and oh man i loved i love that church still loved my time there uh whenever i have been back to birmingham it just feels like a reunion i just i mean it's like family um so uh yeah i was there for eight years and uh god used actually a, a trip I usually traveled overseas like three or four times a year when I was pastoring there at Brook Hills, but there was one trip in particular uh, up into the Himalayas that I wrote a book about uh, recently that's coming out in September called Something Needs to Change, and uh, uh, I just, God did an uh, unusual work in my heart during that time, just seeing collision of urgent spiritual and physical need in the world, and I knew something was about to change in a variety of ways in our, our lives. I thought maybe that meant we would be moving overseas. And so we started exploring that possibility, but it was in the 
is in that time while we're thinking about maybe moving overseas that the IMB, the, this international missions organization that uh, supports about close to 4,000 missionaries around the world, started talking to me about leading that. And so, uh, man, agonized, prayed to that. Like, it was like three options on the table, like stay at Brook Hills, which I would love to do for decades to come, move overseas, which I would love to do for decades to come, or, or go to the IMB. And so uh, uh, God made it clear during that time, uh, a lot of praying, fasting, seeking counsel, that he was leading us to the IMB. So I went there for four years but and loved leading in the IMB. At the same time, really missed being on the front lines of what uh, happens in a, in a church. And, uh, and so um, started while I was at IMB filling in at this uh, church in Metro Washington, D.C., McLean Bible Church. Uh, that's a whole story just about how God orchestrated that. It was clearly only possible by his hand, but it's a unique church. Like there's over a hundred nations represented in this church. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, obviously it's a global city, um, but even this church, I just, I don't, I don't think I've ever been in a setting more diverse. And so, uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm shepherding this church, uh, leading this church uh, that kind of has campuses all over Metro DC with, all kinds of different nations represented to reach the nations in DC and so many people leaving from this church to go around the world. And so the opportunities for mission are pretty incredible. So, yeah, so I've been here for a couple of years now. So uh, that's, that's the summary. Awesome. Well, I want you to know, I've told you this before, but you have had the biggest impact on my spiritual walk with the Lord than anybody else in my life. I think it's providential that our paths crossed. Um, mm-hmm. One of the benefits to me of you being in McLean is I get to hear you preach again. And so thank God for technology and getting to hear you preach. In fact, I was listening to a recent sermon and I took a screenshot of it and I sent it over to Chris Hunsberger, who runs your um, ministry radical, which we did not talk about in the introduction. Um, and I said, I just want to know what this preaching is doing to a church like McLean. Cause I certainly remember what it did uh, to Brook Hills 10 years or so ago. So that was a, or like, I guess over 10 years ago now. Um, and so that's a great conversation to hear from him, what's going on in McLean. And I'm sure we could spend the next hour talking about that, but there's a lot mm-hmm. I want to talk about, but I do want you to know, that when I launched this podcast, I made a list of potential guests that I wanted to have on. And next to Arnold Schwarzenegger, you were right there at number two. <laughs> you almost got the top spot, but Man, and, well, okay. I was about to say like Arnold, like I, uh, yeah, I'm sure I, I'm glad to be number two behind Arnold Schwarzenegger. Man. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So one thing you've been able to do is write a couple of best-selling books. I know Radical was the first one really uh, put you on the scene, but this most recent book, I got an early copy of it from Chris called Something Needs to Change. And it was uh, a great read. I got to relive a lot of what we heard because you mentioned uh, that trip was when you were the Mm -hmm. pastor at Brook Hills with no plans on changing Uh, of course, at that point, when you came back, I mean, the whole congregation knew like something is going on in David's heart. Like, what is it? Is he, is he leaving? Is he, is he moving overseas? I mean, you had, you came back with such a heaviness. So talk to me about, you know, how how that book came about and your purpose in writing it. Yeah. So this is, it's, it's different from any of the other books I've written because it's, it's, a trek. It's, it's basically an eight day journey through those trails. Like part of me wishes I could take like multitudes of people onto those trails high up in the Himalayas, these remote villages. Obviously that's not physically possible. So the, the, this is my attempt to bring those trails to people because what I encountered there, the, the best way I could describe it, it's just like a collision of urgent spiritual and physical need. So like physical need, they did some research in these villages and they found that half of the children were dying before their eighth birthday. I I think about my four kids, like one of my greatest fears is something happening to one of them. Like I can't imagine that being an expectation for half of them. And then, uh, and, and all kinds of other things just flowing from that, just uh, I mean, people dying of preventable diseases, lack of medicine, lack of clean water, and uh, and then just the way traffickers prey on poverty in these villages. It's it's 
just horrible. And so physical needs and spiritual needs. So uh, most of the people in those mountains have little to no knowledge of Jesus, of God's love in Jesus. So, I mean, you ask people on the trails, what do you know about Jesus? And they'll say, who's that? Like, almost like you're talking about some guy in the next village that they've, they've not met yet. Like, just have no concept of, uh, yeah, God's love for us in Jesus. And so, uh, urgent spiritual and urgent physical need. And so what I do in the book is I, I, it's, it's different than, and one of the things I'd say at the beginning, like I want to come back, come out from behind the, uh, the podiums where I preach or, uh, and just, I mean, it's one thing to, uh, and, and to ask some questions that I wrestle with about the things I preach and the truths I believe and the things I write. And so what I do is just kind of open up my journals and start asking, like, where, where is God's provision for the impoverished? Where is God's protection for those who are being trafficked? Uh, uh, why are some people born into what? like earthly suffering and only to move on according to the Bible to what is an eternity of suffering. This I, and sort of wrestle with those things and uh, those questions in a way that doesn't just lead to answers, but leads to action. Like what is, what needs to change in my life? What needs to change in my family with the way I go about the work that I do, my plans, my future as a result of, urgent need in the world. And part of me would rather just stick my head in the sand and pretend like those things aren't real. Like just go on with life as normal. And I think that's the temptation we face uh, is to live like the world around us just looks nice and comfortable when it's, when it's not, I mean, these, these urgent needs are real and they, they warrant require us to live differently. Uh, So that's kind of the essence of the book. Yeah, it's a great recap. And, you know, I really uh, identified and appreciated the honesty and the transparency to which you were asking God these questions, because part of me is like, you know, I've been on trips similar to that, and I've asked these questions. It was a bit cathartic to know here you are who have taught on these subjects, have written books on these subjects, have led conferences over, you know, an entire mission board of sending for over 4,000 missionaries uh, to proclaim the good news. And you're asking at a heart deep level, God, why do these things exist? So I want to share uh, something you wrote just right off the bat. And it may just uh, kind of put a period on your explanation, or if you want to unpack it even mm-hmm. further, but I thought it was just a great way to dive into what this book was about. And you write that we talk a lot about the need to know what we believe in our heads. Yet I wonder if we have forgotten to feel what we believe in our hearts. How else are we to explain our ability to sit in services where we sing songs and hear sermons celebrating how Jesus is the hope of the world, yet rarely, if ever, fall on our faces weeping for those who don't have this hope and then take action to make this hope known to them? Anything further from that, or is that just put a period on, no. on your interview? Well, I, I think it summarizes, like, when I came out of those mountains the first time, it just, uh, like, I found myself face to the floor uh, in tears, like, not just tears, like, eyes kind of wet, like, weeping uncontrollably, and just overwhelmed, uh and think through, okay, I mean, that's why the book's titled Something Needs to Change, because uh, one of the guys on the trip just asked me at the very end, just, what's your big takeaway from this trip? And that's what came out of my mouth. Like, something needs to change, like, in so many different ways for, for these people, like men, women, kids. Like, I mean, it's, I just got back from there about a month ago, and, uh, I mean, there was, there, there, we were visiting these art therapy uh, sessions that, uh, for girls who've been trafficked from these mountains. And uh, there was an eight-year-old girl in there. And uh, like, I have an eight-year-old girl. Like, I just, it's like, that, that's got to change. That's got, something has to change for her, for, for people who are, are living in suffering. And, uh, and in order for something to change in them, like something needs to change in me. Uh, so, uh, so, and, and if we're not careful, so what I mean, what that excerpt that you read is hitting at is if we're not careful, like we can coast through like a 
a Christian life, a life of faith, and just kind of, uh, uh, yeah, know these things in our head, but not really wrestle with them in our hearts in a way that leads us to our faces, like uh, just crying out to God for those in need and saying, here's my life, use me however you want, use my gifts, my skills. Uh, I mean, when, when I think about you, like the, and, and others like you, like businesses you run, I mean, just God, use our little bit of time while we have on this earth. Like we're here for a short time, like a mist. So how can we make it count for the spread of hope and love and uh, God's grace in a world of urgent need? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to waste my life. Like I want to, I want to spend it uh, for, for the good of others. And I know, I know when that's the case that it, it, it brings God glory and it brings me a joy, us a joy that is far greater than anything else this world offers. So Anyway, that's that's kind of the essence. And if we're not careful, we can just kind of read the Bible or just kind of go through a Christian life and miss that completely. Mm, yes. I mean, that's a perfect setup to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about in the book. It was day five and a bit of an unusual chapter title, Nurses, Teachers, and Trout Poop Experts. Uh, but it really <laughs> undergirds what you just said of there's people in those mountains who are using their unique talents and gifts and they're using it for the spread of the gospel. And I just, I can't get the image out of my head where you were teaching them uh, that night on the church. And you said, now here are people who are no strangers to what it means to give up all to follow Christ. And yet us in our comfortable North American, Western comfortable Christianity, like we don't even really know what does it look like to give up? things to follow Christ. So unpack that scene for me. The, the- yeah. So what, what's, uh, and, and it's, uh, uh, I mean, I won't ruin the whole cliffhanger with that title chapter, uh, chapter title, but, uh, I mean, to see people with different gifts and skills. So whether nurses, teachers, or, I mean, this guy, uh, and his wife who, are doing aquaponics using trout waste to uh, help provide for uh, vegetable growth and food for people in need. Like it's so awesome to see the creativity of God. Like not, we're not all the same. Like Forrest Wald and David Platt aren't the same. Like we have different gifts. We have different skills. Uh, we work in different domains, but they can all be used uh, and and leveraged for the spread of God's grace and love and mercy in so many different ways. And uh, and then so so then to be in a setting where the believers are around, like it's costing them everything to follow Christ. And in these mountains. Uh, yeah, and I tell some stories of just persecution and even people dying uh, for uh, being a follower of Jesus. And so to gather together a little church and a little house and uh, and to see, look around the room at the faces of men and women who are risking everything to follow Jesus. And, and you can't help but to look in that room and think, this is, this is what I want to be a part of. Like this is actually, this is now, this is the church. Like it's not just a group of people sitting comfortably in a room uh, once a week. Cause that's kind of the thing to do. Like these people, like this is life for them. Like Jesus is their life and they need each other They're and they're working together for the spread of the gospel in their different ways. Like uh, the spread of God's love in, in a community that where there's very little knowledge of Jesus. Like, I mean, it's all like, and I walk away just saying, uh, like this is the church and this kind of church can change the world. Um, like the church is God's designed it to be. And so then I wrestled through, okay, so what does that look like? And what does that look like in our lives here? What does that look like in our families and in our, in our churches here? Mm. Well, just know that scene has been resonating in my mind for the last few weeks since I read it, just mm. really asking those same questions of myself, which I have to think is the intent of the book. I mean, it's always to mm. take us deep and really say with an open hand, or as you like to call it a blank check, you know, God, what, what would mm. you have for me and my family and my business? And uh, it definitely hit the mark uh, for me. Mm. So I want to transition a little bit, which may seem somewhat of a right turn, but really it's not. 
Um, the premise of this show is that to uh, create in business, and I know sometimes it's a stretch to call ministry business, but it's what you do as your career. You are hmm. super successful by any measure, whether it's your books or uh, the churches you pastor or your podcast or your ministry, like you have a lot going on. And it's been my contention. And the whole reason for this show is unless you are committed and growing in your body, in your balance with your wife and your kids and in your being, your connection with God, like you don't even have the fuel to create. And typically if you are creating at the expense of those other three, you are just burning your life down. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it's type two diabetes or divorce or no relationship with God, all at the expense of building and creating. And so this, since this show is, is really targeted to entrepreneurs who want to build something with their life, I want to talk to you about these other three areas. I want to, you know, we, mm. we clearly established uh, your credibility, but now let's talk about body. And I think mm. of the story um, that you told your wife, Heather, uh, you know, if I, if I remember right, you occasionally would ask her, you know, how would you rate me as a husband and how can I serve you better? Can be a dangerous question, but she really mm. surprised you with her response. So tell us that story. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, uh, uh, so the background is, is I was pastoring Brook Hills. Um, I had written Radical, that first book, and uh, a lot of people were reading it. It was doing really well. The church was growing. Uh, and I mean, like, and I was getting invited to preach in all these different places, like, I guess on the outside, like, and yeah, from a business sense, even in a church sense, like, everything looked like it was going great. Um, but I mean, inside, uh, yeah, I, I was far from God. Uh, that's the best way to put it. I rarely spent time alone in prayer and I'd, I'd read the Bible, study the Bible, but it was only to preach. Um, and, uh, and so my time with God was inconsistent best. I mean, non-existent most days. And then one day, I do. I, I try to periodically ask Heather, how can I love you better? And uh, usually she, she'll she be like, oh, you're doing good. And, and then maybe something like she'll say some nice things and maybe say a little something in the middle and kind of end with some nice things. Well, this time she just went right to the middle. And uh, and she said, uh, David, um, you you don't eat well. You don't exercise because don't get me wrong. Like during that, this period, I mean, it was a long time. Like I was not like I was lazy. Like I was working hard. I was staying up all night, getting up really early in the morning, like working really hard, running all over the place. Uh, but she was like, you don't sleep well. You don't eat well. You don't exercise. Uh, and then she said, I don't know when you spend time with God. And she said, if you don't make some major changes fast, you're not going to be around to love me very long. And, uh, mm. So I, it was, a, it was a wake up call for me, uh, because basically there was a lack of discipline physically in me and a lack of discipline spiritually in me that, uh, and man, I look back, I am so thankful that could have gone in so many bad directions. Uh, there's so many ways that could have gone that God protected me from. And so anyway, I knew I needed to make some changes on all those levels. And so it was actually the next weekend after having that conversation with her that uh, I finally went to a bring a friend day at Iron Tribe. And, uh, and, and I had been really, for a while to come work out, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's not the invitation I'd been there. I'd ignored it because I was, yeah. But uh, I came and I mean, it is, it's, yeah, even right now thinking about it, like it's no exaggeration to say that that weekend um, and it started a journey, uh, that, I mean, I'd say a journey, but I mean, it was overnight, um, that, uh, physical and spiritual discipline took on a whole new picture in my life in a way that I can't remember now how many years ago that was. That was like 2011 maybe. Um, mm -hmm. and, and my life's been totally different the last eight years, like totally different. Okay, so let's split those two because we're going to get to uh, wow. the spiritual. But on the physical, you had not been working out. You had not been eating right, and you got a wake-up call. 
in a short little 10 minute workout you thought was going to be easy. And, about yeah, and I was you, like, 10 minutes, like that could be near what, what I mean, 10 minutes. It was a partner workout in 10 minutes. Like, dude, I remember, uh, I remember part of that workout was wall balls. So taking this ball, throwing up on the wall and there's a men's target that's a little higher than a women's target. It's a little bit under that. And I'm throwing, and I'm like, I'm so exhausted. I'm throwing that ball up. I cannot get it to the men's target. I'm hitting the women's target. You're in my ear, like, what? Are you a woman? And I'm inside. I'm like, yes, yes. Like, I can't do this. I can't get the ball to the men. Like, so anyway, uh, I just remember lying on the floor uh, in that gym, like my legs threatening to explode. Um, I, I remember just people talking with like hushed overtones around me, like what is wrong with David? Uh, and I finally, I got up and I just went out to the car without talking to anybody. And I just sat in the car and Heather came out and she was like, David, this is why you need this. Like you are so out of shape. And she just like, no sympathy. She just kind of lit into me. So anyway, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. People can go two ways with that experience. They can say, this is why I don't exercise. I'll never do it again. <laughs> or they immediately know that something has to change and they get started. And so you obviously did the latter and you stay with us for several years until you had to move, but you've continued your fitness. So I'm just, I'd like to hear like what impact has getting in shape and making the weight room a priority and your cardio a priority. Like how has that served you in your life? Oh, I mean, it really like that physical discipline because, because there's all kinds of effects from that too. Um, uh, so one, yeah, I think, uh, my body's obviously much healthier. I mean, when it comes to, I mean, I was running myself ragged, staying up all night, getting up early in the morning. I mean, but my energy level now, like, uh, because what, I mean, just regularly working out, what did that cause me to start doing? but it caused me to start going to bed earlier so I could wake up and have energy to do this workout. And uh, so, I mean, it created a whole sleep routine that was needed in my life. Um, then uh, if I ate certain things, then that workout was going to be all the more brutal. And so, uh, so then it changed just what I ate. Um, and, uh, and I'm not going to say like I, I eat like, super healthy 100% but the beauty is now even when I do like cheat a little bit I've, I've got something to offset that with uh with regular exercise so but it did I mean it changed my eating drinking like I mean I was downing uh soft drinks like crazy and uh but I mean I haven't had I've maybe had a couple in the last eight years and it didn't even taste that good so uh, so it just changed so energy level rest uh, all these things that flow from, and then just, uh, I mean, I'm, I've got four kids, another Lord willing toddler on the way through adoption. Uh, I need some, some strength in, in, in raising kids and whatever physically. So, uh, yeah, I'm just really, really thankful. And it's even been great. I would just add another dimension of that because Heather has been doing it with me. And so we, we love doing that together and kind of spurring one another on in that way and like we really enjoy now that our kids are a little bit older we can work out together and uh, we love doing that together it's just been a really neat time for us so anyway there have been all kinds of byproducts of just an intentional regular workout and then you add in the other dynamics with iron tribe um, and uh, just the way it's designed to cultivate community with others uh, and uh, even opportunities yeah, to get to know a lot of different types of people and to be able to even share good news of God's love through that. I mean, some of our, uh, you know, greatest opportunities for just meeting people in the community have happened through and they're in Birmingham, but then when we moved Richmond and now in Metro DC through, through exercise. So, so many different byproducts of it. And I was struck reading your book that even the ability to go on this hike that you went on to write this book, like you needed yeah. to be fit to hike up those mountains. That's, that's very true. Like that's, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Somebody asked me the other day, I think it was just last week. Somebody said, well, like hiking those mountains, did you, uh, did you have to do like a ton of training for that? And I really didn't. Like I just did, I mean, I do 
yeah, just regular exercise right now. And as a result of that, like, uh, I, I mean, it's still like exhausting being in those mountains, especially at altitude. You can't really uh, train for that. Um, but yeah, I feel like by God's grace through intentional physical exercise, I feel like I'm not limited in the things that I can do physically. Again, I don't presume upon that for tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed to be healthy tomorrow, but with whatever responsibility I can take and whatever activity I can do uh, to, to cultivate that, then I want to do that. I just, it's just wise, I think. Okay. Well, a good transition from body into balance is the fact that you and Heather are getting to do that together. And I really do find it creates a safe space in marriage, just something that's so safe to do and talk about. It doesn't typically lead to fights <laughs> or any kind of anxiety. It's just something fun that you can share together. So talk to me. You've been married 19 years. You have four children. Uh, you're in the process of adopting again. Um, so just talk to me about the legacy of your family and if how that's not intact, everything you're creating at McLean and Radical and everything else just it doesn't matter. So talk to yeah. me about the power of being just equipped and balanced. Yeah, I would say exactly that. Like I almost picture like concentric circles. Like so that inner circle, my relationship with God, I mean that is that is everything is the overflow of that. If I'm off center there, then I'm uh, then marriage, parenting, work, church, whatever, like none of it's going to be right. So I've got to be focused there. But then right outside that is my relationship with Heather. And so, uh, uh, yeah, if I'm not loving my wife well, if things are not good in marriage, then that's going to have a huge effect on parenting. That's going to have a huge effect on every other fast work. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to miss, like I know uh, God has called me to love Heather in a way that is even superior to God's call in my life to pastor McLean Bible church. Like, I mean, that's changed, right? I mean, that's just a couple of years old. It was Brook Hills. It was IMB and McLean, but my wife, like this is constant, uh, as long as we both have breath. And so, uh, I want to love her well. So we, we prioritize date nights together. We've, uh, we just had somebody encourage us to do that early in our marriage. And so we prioritize that. We try to do that every couple of weeks, um, sometimes more frequently, sometimes uh, stresses make it a little bit harder. But I mean, we, we usually are have that kind of time a couple, once every couple of weeks, uh, just us alone. Um, and, uh, and then trying to get away here or there. Uh, and, uh, and so we just really prioritize uh, time with each other, quality time with each other. And uh, amidst and you have to make it work because it's, it's not like there aren't obviously other things pulling at you, but prioritize that. And then time with the kids, like, ah, oh, I want to be a good husband and a good dad. I want to love and care for shepherd these kids' hearts. And uh, so um, I, my, my favorite time by far is time where it's just uh, being together as family, um, playing games or doing this or that. Like we love being together and that's a gift. It's, it's, yeah. So, um, so just kind of working out. And so before you even get to like the, when you think concentric circles, like work, which for me is pastoring the church or leading radical or writing or whatever, like all, all of that is grounded in health and relationship with God, relationship with Heather and a uh, relationship with my kids. And, uh, and so there's, there's some practical things that I'd try to do, uh, even to, to guard that. Like one thing that comes to my mind, um, that I got actually from, uh, John Piper and, uh, when he was pastoring it, uh, up in Minneapolis, uh, they would, uh, so I'll just throw this out there. I don't know if it's, if it applies exactly. I mean, it was something that their pastors did together, but I think there's some application that can be made to not pastoring, but what they did is they took uh, the week and uh, divided it uh, into 21 modules. So three a day, morning, afternoon, evening, three a day modules. So you got 21 total morning, afternoon, evening, each, each day, each seven days. And what they try to encourage one another to do is to aim 
for about seven to 10 modules a week that uh, were apart from work where you weren't working. Um, and they called them R and R like rest and relaxation, I think. But, uh, I would just say apart from work, I mean, some of the things you do when you're not at work, like with your kids are not necessarily relaxing, but <laughs> it's still not work. So, uh, uh, so anyway, they tried to aim for seven to 10 a week where you are, you're not working. So, uh, and then try to do three in a row at some point in the week to kind of fulfill a Sabbath kind of principle. So like 24 hours of rest a day of rest. So this has been hugely helpful for me because so the way it plays out, like say you had a nine to five week, which I really have a nine to five week. And, but say you had a nine to five week, then that would mean when, uh, so each night, each or evening, evening modules for those five nights that week. So that would be a away from work module. And then during the weekend, you'd have two to five of those modules where you would be away from work. Uh, but then the good thing is if your schedule is like you got days that are really longer, then you just kind of compensate from that. So you're looking to do seven to 10 and some weeks you have like zero. Uh, then, but then you're like, okay, I need to make sure to compensate for weeks coming up uh, because I can't keep doing that. Because, and then one of the other, so there's just a lot of things this is proof helpful for me for, because when I say I have a nine to five kind of day, when I get home at, so five in that circumstance, if I've got that module that I'm saying, all right, this is away from work. What that means is from five till I go to bed, uh, till I, till the next morning, I'm not going to look at email. I'm not going to look at anything work-wise. Like I'm not going to be focused on it at all, uh, to the extent which it's possible. Um, and, and that's been hugely helpful for me and for marriage and for kids, because what would happen before is I would, you know, we're about to sit down for dinner and I just look real quick at my phone and look at, at some emails. Well, if there's something in the inbox that like uh, is going wrong or this or that, then at the dinner table, that's all I'm thinking about. And that affects my time with my kids. Or if I go to bed at night and I'm just, uh, I'm about to go to bed and I just pull up, look at the emails, like it affects my mindset as I'm going to bed. Like I, so what I try to do is guard that module and just keep it away from work. It's, I find it's better for my wife. It's better for my for my kids, and it's better for me. It's just good to have some time away from work. So anyway, sorry, I've gone on kind of long, but that's that's just no, a practical I mean, thing that's been helpful for me. Yeah, it's fantastic, and I think we know that we need to do that. But the draw of glancing at that phone and the dopamine hit we get from seeing a email pop up man, it can, it can wreck your whole state and frame for the way you want to show up for your family. And you know, what is it worth seeing that one email a few hours before you might've otherwise. So it's just a great word. Um, we'll quickly introduce us to your kids and then why adopt again after four and there's been a break now, number five. Yeah. So we, uh, we, uh, short of it, we tried for years to have, children i uh, didn't know if we were ever physically going to be able to about five years uh and uh we're struggling to have kids and so uh we ended up adopting our first son which we i would have probably said at that point was like second best since we can't have children biologically we'll adopt i learned real quick that adoption was just as best so we adopted our first son caleb from kazakhstan when he was a baby he's now 13 and then we adopted him, came home from Kazakhstan, and two weeks later found out Heather was pregnant. So uh, uh, Joshua came along nine months later, so Joshua is now 11. Um, and then uh, we knew we wanted to adopt again, but we also knew we were able to have children biologically. So, uh, uh, but for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, uh, biologically, uh, he didn't provide for the next few years. We had started the adoption process. Um, from one country that got shut down. Then we adopted from uh, uh, China. So our daughter is from China, Mara, and she's eight now. And then we got back and three months later, Heather was pregnant again. So along came Isaiah. So uh, he's six. So 13, 11, eight and six right now. And then, man, we've been joyfully content ever since Isaiah was born. We've kind of been like, okay, I think, I, think, I mean, just, yeah, we love our family, the dynamics, everything. So we've just kind of been 
joyfully content. And then, uh, and if you had told me like six months ago that we'd be adopting again, I'd be like, oh, you're crazy. But, uh, man, we, I had some concentrated time with the Lord and then Heather had mentioned in a couple different circumstances, something about adoption. So we were on a date night and we just started talking about adoption again. And, uh, <laughs> we just basically at date night, like looked at each other and realized, all right, we know there's a lot of need. We believe we have a lot of love left to give. So why would we not adopt? And so she's like in tears in the restaurant there the day night. Like I wanted to tell people around us, like I'm really not that bad of a husband. Like uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was it was a pretty traumatic scene there at the table. But uh, I mean, we were just like I think the Lord's leading us to do this. So uh, yeah, so we started the process of adoption again. So we're in the process of adopting. Uh, from from China, number five. Uh, so we're gonna jump back in, Lord willing. Everything goes all right to the uh, the toddler stage. Well, we're right there with you. Uh, our kids are a little bit older, sixteen to nine. Uh, but when you think about adopting again, I mean, it isn't an easy to think. My gosh, no one's in diapers, no one's getting baths. Like mm-hmm. things are just kind of clicking right now. And you think about starting the whole process over. Yeah, it takes the Lord speaking to you because it certainly yeah. doesn't come at a cost, but what a blessing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, so I want to ask you one more specific question on balance. And I ask this a lot of guests who have multiple kids. How have you intentionally found a way to spend one-on-one time with each child? Because I know, I mean, we've got all these things going and, you know, there's family time, but then there's also that one-on-one time. Have you been able to create a rhythm or anything that's worked successfully for you there? Uh, that's a great question because we, we are constantly uh, work, trying to work at this and don't feel like we've been successful. But I would say, uh, so, so there, there's the natural things like, uh, yeah, when I'm going to run an errand or go do something, I'm like, hey, just take one of the kids to go with me. Um, so just looking for opportunities, uh, or just in, you know, to maximize, uh, when there's opportunity for really personal one-on-one conversation with them, when they're getting ready for bed or when you, when you, when you see a kid alone and you've got, yeah, just, even if it's just five minutes, like just some really intentional conversation time to just make that kind of quality time with that, that one child, or when you're, yeah, like I said, when you're running the car and you only have uh, one there. But then one thing we've tried, so that just kind of as you go kind of stuff. But then what we, one thing we've tried to do is uh, we call it hang time um, uh, where we just, we, we try, Heather and I, so with our four, or we try to, our goal is to each month uh, for each of us have, to have some hang time intentional outside of this just kind of normal stuff with two of the kids and then we kind of rotate them. Uh, and so what hang time is, is, uh, uh, it's me taking my 11 year old up to sweet frog and us just hanging out for a, a little while together. It's uh, me taking my six year old aside to do this or that. And then not what, well, one of the things with the challenges we face is we, we were doing, trying to do this. We were trying to do like big things. Like we'd have a whole night out with them and do the, but trying to find that amidst the busy, find that time amidst the busyness of everything for all four kids, it wasn't working as well as we had hoped. And so, uh, um, so we just, so we just kind of said, okay, hang time. That's just where it's you, one of you kids with mom or with dad, spending some concentrated time, just doing something a little special. Um, so that's that's what we try to do along those lines. That's good. Very practical. I, I appreciate that because it's hard, especially trying to make yeah. it something grand. Yeah. Uh, it's just bound to fall apart. All right. Yeah. So we talked, yeah, about totally we talked about business. We talked about body. We talked about balance. And I say being for last and being is what I've defined as our connection with Christ. And really this whole podcast has been about that, but I want to specifically talk about uh, that sermon you preached when you first came to Brook Hills that has had an, a just profound impact on my life. And you asked the question that morning, have we disconnected the blessings of God from the purposes of God? And you based it in Psalm 67, one and two. I have talked about that at length on this podcast. So I'm not going to re uh, talk about that sermon, but what I do want to talk about is you talking to this audience, faith-based entrepreneurs, or at least entrepreneurs who are longing for purpose in their life. 
there is a temptation to disconnect the blessing from the purpose. What is your encouragement to us to, yes, use your talents? If you understand irrigation systems and how to use trout poop to fertilize plants, man, be the best at that you possibly can. Like, be successful. Use your talents. Use your resources. But then don't, for, don't forget to connect them with what God's doing around the world, with what he wants to do through those talents. What is your, what is your um, just your encouragement to us? Uh, I think, uh, so a couple things come to my mind. Uh, one is, yeah, it's exactly what you just said. Like Excel, I would say for the glory of God, like uh, God has given you gifts. I mean, if you're in, in some kind of leadership role, like, yeah, you've been given grace from God and it brings honor to the God who created you to use those gifts well in ways that are, yeah, in ways that cause a business to thrive. I mean, supposing it's not a business that's like uh, wrong, evil, so that would be bad, but uh, but I'm guessing that's not your listeners. But uh, anyway, so as long as it's, yeah, with honesty, with integrity, uh, with excellence to do work, like that's Glorifying to God, whenever you read 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all the glory of God. Or Colossians 3, 24, like you're serving, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because you're serving Christ. Like that, what a picture. Like ultimately, our, uh, who we're working for is not uh, this employer or if you're the employer, like you're not ultimate in this picture. Like we're, we're working to bring honor to Jesus and sort of keep that focus to keep that focus because that will, that'll guard you against all kinds of temptations toward lack of integrity, lack of honesty, lack of transparency, lack of humility, all kinds of things flow from keeping that in proper perspective. Like, yes, you may lead Iron Tribe Fitness. You may lead this or that, but in the end, like you are, you're submissive to another who is over you. And so, and there's, there's joy to be found in that. Um, and then, yes, so that's one thing, but then to think through, okay, with these gifts I've been given, how can they be used to be a blessing to others? And there's so many different ways that can play out, right? A blessing to others that you work alongside, that you work with, so be a blessing to people, and then to people who are affected by the work you do, uh, even if it's not like, uh, yeah, just there's a lot of good things that, that happen in the world, in God's common grace, because work is done well. And so to know that's bringing a blessing to others. And then to think through what are the creative ways these gifts, this business, these skills, resources can be used to, to yeah, make the goodness, the love, the grace of God known right around you and in the world far from you. I mean, it's pretty awesome when I look uh, and i I'm guessing, yeah, like most people know, but I mean, just in case they don't, like I mean, what God has done uh, in Forest and, and some others who were alongside him when they started Never Thirst, for example, like and started using resources and, uh, and, and from the overflow of Iron Tribe and then uh, uh, work out for water and how much that raises the thing goes towards I mean, it's pretty awesome. There's people who are drinking clean water all around the world as a result of a successful business in Birmingham, Alabama that's, that's obviously branched out from there. Like, that's a pretty awesome thought that you get to be a part of that, that any one of us can be a part of that kind of work if we just make that connection. And so I would, I would say, I remember one of the things I spoke at, this was a long time ago, at, uh, uh, for... Uh, some of the Iron Tribe uh, folks, leaders, and I just remember uh, encouraging them there, like keep the bottom line, changed lives. And uh, because if, if we're not careful, we can lose focus. Like obviously there needs to be a bottom line, like financially in order to be able to, to sustain and grow and those sorts of things. But at the same time, just don't, don't forget, like there's, there's people, there's people that are affected right around you and to live, to have, to make that a, a fruitful effect, a good effect on people. And then realize 
Like you have unique opportunities to affect people far from you and, and unique opportunities that quite honestly, not, not everybody in the world has like the opportunity to be able to, to make money and create business that can be a blessing in so many different ways to so many different people is, is a pretty awesome privilege and, uh, that we've been given. So to whom much is given, much is expected. Like let's maximize this. So sorry, I could keep going on and on, but those are the thoughts that come to my mind. <laughs> I know you could, and I love to hear you preach it. I just, I just want to tell you again, I mean, the overflow of your ministry through the word, through continually pointing me to the word, just, you mentioned never thirst and, you know, the adoption uh, was you directly just so influential in that, not only preaching it from the pulpit, but living it out in your own life. And so many ways, I mean, our core value, not only at never thirst, but at iron tribe, one of our core values is to connect God's blessing with his purpose and based right off mm -hmm. Psalm 67, one and two. So just thank you for your overflow and investment in me and my family and could not thank you enough for just carving out mm -hmm. some time to talk with us today. I know this is going to be impactful uh, to our listeners and just appreciate you and thank you so much. Oh man. Thanks. I, this is pure joy. I'm just so thankful for, yeah, for God's grace in you, man. And the way, uh, that, that blessing being connected with purpose. And, you know, I would say, uh, one of the things we mentioned earlier, uh, so, I mean, if it'd be helpful for folks who listen, like radical.net has got a variety of resources and even just ways that we're trying to, to work, even, redesign some things to be able to help fuel some of those opportunities for uh, to connecting blessing with purpose around the world. So anyway, for what that's worth, but man, this has been pure joy. Thank you. Yeah. That's a resource I use often. I'm a big fan. Um, and, and that's a good segue too. How can we follow you? I know, I think, are you on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, and then, uh, then radical.net is probably the primary place kind of that houses a lot of both resources uh and that's where you can, i mean the podcast you mentioned there's a couple different podcasts that uh but you can find information about all that on uh yeah radical.net okay so all your books all of those resources will be on there as well mm -hmm. when does the new book yep. come out so new book comes out mid-september it's like september 17th uh yeah something needs to change it's it's available now for pre-order uh uh yeah wherever wherever books are sold all right. Well, I'm gonna tell you my plan. So as soon as it comes out, I'm putting it all in my my guys' hands in my Bible study. We're gonna read it. We're gonna do the workbook, and then we're going to Nepal in February. Now it'll be a never thirst trip, but you know huh. what? An awesome opportunity to read through that and then go. So uh, excited awesome, about that. Man. Great. All right, David. Well, thanks again, and um, I know this will be a huge blessing to our listeners. So appreciate you having having me on. Thanks, Forrest.